0: It's Mattress Firm's President's Day sale. Right now, save up to $600 when you get a king bed at a queen price and a queen for a twin. Like a Serta Perfect Sleeper Queen mattress, now just $499.99. Plus, take home a free adjustable base when you spend just $499. Don't wait. Visit MattressFirm.com or a store near you for our best deal of the year. Your budget stretches further. At Mattress Firm.
1: Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit MattressFirm.com.
0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle, and I've been doing this show for a long, long time. Today was a first, because I've opened the show with a lot of different things over the years, but never once, with soccer. But when the U.S. men's national team loses to Trinidad and Tobago, when they get ripped from the World Cup by TNT, they left me no choice. And imagine if I actually cared about soccer. You also get my take on the absolute circus going on with the Nationals, who had Steven Strasburg calling sick for Game 4, but now apparently he's had some miracle recovery and he will take the ball. The most national story of all time. And we have three very good guests, Texas Tech football coach Cliff Kingsbury, LA Clippers head coach Doc Rivers, and Western Michigan running back Jarvion Franklin. Alvy, go ahead and do what you do. I'm going to start today by saying we are making history in the jungle. It's a historic day in the jungle. History because I'm about to say something that I have never said. Frankly, never thought that I would ever say. But here it is. Here we are. Here we freaking are. are. I'm going to start the show today with a take on soccer. Yes, soccer. And not World Cup soccer, mind you because the united states will not be playing in the world cup not after that humiliating embarrassing 2 to 1 loss to trinidad and tobago the whistle it's done it's over it is over trinidad with nothing to play for has dethroned the united states knocking them out of the world cup 2018 Missing out on the World Cup for the first time since 1986. Credit BN Sports. Go ahead and let that sink in for a moment. With a World Cup berth on the line, the United States lost to Trinidad and Tobago. As I always say, you know I'm known for this. If you can't beat TNT, you don't deserve to go to the World Cup. Now... If I cared about soccer, I'd be pissed. If I cared about soccer, I'd be embarrassed. If I cared about soccer, I'd point out that in a must-win game, the U.S. showed up flat and lethargic. It would be bad enough if they were eliminated on some fluky last-minute goal. But instead, they showed up in a critical game and they fell behind 2-0 to Trinidad and Tobago. The worst team in the group. This wasn't even Ghana. 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 It was Trinidad and Tobago. A team that had nothing to play for and yet still outworked an American team. An American team that had everything to play for. You see, if I cared about soccer... I'd point out that the odds were staggeringly against this. That depending on which projection you used, depending on the results for Panama and Honduras, the U.S. had roughly an 85 to 90% chance of going through last night. Why? Because nobody thought the U.S. would actually lose to Trinidad and Tobago. And they did. The 2016-17 Atlanta Falcons cannot believe how badly the U.S. just choked. You see, if I cared about soccer... I'd say that I don't care about the fact that Panama beat Costa Rica in part because of a goal that should not have counted because that should not have been a factor at all not when the U.S. was playing Trinidad and Tobago if I cared about soccer I'd say that I can't stress enough how embarrassing it is to lose to Trinidad and Tobago if I cared about soccer I'd point out that there's all sorts of blame to go around for this from the players for their lack of effort to manager Bruce Arena for seriously questionable tactics, to the U.S. Soccer Federation administration. You see, if I cared about soccer, I would question the logic of rolling out with the same exact starting 11 as the ones who played four days earlier in Orlando. I mean, that's a recipe for a slow start. And sure enough, they look tired and flat as hell. I'd also question the lack of a partner for Michael Bradley in midfield. i point out that Josie Altador had to track back too far to receive the ball, but that he didn't do much when he did get it. I'd also point out that Bobby Wood was a non-factor. Same thing with Darlington Nagby. Omar Gonzalez scored an own goal. Tim Howard picked a bad day to have a bad day in goal. Essentially, everybody not named Christian Pulisic was a disaster. But that's pretty much U.S. soccer right now, right? Right. The wonder kid works his witchcraft, and everybody else just stands around and watches. And then after that implosion, Bruce Arena offered up this gem. It's a blemish for us. We should not uh, uh, be staying home for this World Cup. A blemish. You mean like a single zit on your nose? Come on, Bruce. Getting shut out by Costa Rica at home was a blemish. Getting pantsed by TNT is a disaster. It's humiliating. And losing to TNT with a trip to the World Cup on the line is even worse. And zero credit for taking responsibility for that big zit. That's your job. Well, actually, your job was to rescue the team after Jurgen Klinsmann was canned. You were literally hired to coach through the World Cup, and you didn't even get there. Hey, Bruce, you got a ton of love when you first came in, and now you deserve a ton of heat as you go out the door. You see, if I cared about soccer... I'd point out that this storm was coming. That of late, the U.S. has played down to its level of competition. And that the youth development is seriously flawed. That pay-to-play is good for the people who organize it, but not for the sport. That it's not a matter of the best American athletes not playing soccer. It's that the best American soccer players are not developed well enough. And that missing the next World Cup is not going to help that. You see... If I cared about soccer, I would say it's time for a hard reset. Not just a new coach, that's going to happen anyway, but new leadership in the game. If I cared about soccer, I'd say the U.S. Soccer Federation needs to clean house and have its house cleaned. But I'm not sure that any of that's going to happen because somehow, and wait for it, somehow, some way, a national team that has never won anything has an astonishing level of arrogance. If I cared about soccer, I would think and say all of these things. Except I don't. I don't. That was a tongue. For a brilliant take. MJ's flu game, Kirk Gibson's one-legged walk-off, Kurt Schilling's bloody sock- Ronnie Lott lopping off his own digit. What do these guys have in common with Steven Strasburg? Absolutely nothing. Because with the season on the line, and Strasburg due to take the ball on his regular rest, he told the team he's not up to it. Because he's, quote, under the weather. Under the weather or in a coma. Under the weather or six feet under the ground. Because if you're that guy this time of year, those are the only reasons you're not taking the baseball. You're in a coma or you're in the ground. Or in a hospital bed. Nope, just under the weather. Except he made some kind of miraculous recovery because now he is going to pitch tonight. Because the team says he was able to get an IV and some meds and he's feeling much better. Yeah, either that or a serious dose of peer pressure from his own clubhouse. Take the ball and win tonight, and then maybe everybody forgets this even happened. Maybe, but I doubt it seriously. Listen, these days you can get practically everything on demand. Like our podcast, listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Anything that you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. So you can get postage whenever you need it. 24 and 7 as an example we grind out every single day here on the program back in the day if i had to get something out or i had to get something to a potential guest or a team i'd have to leave the office and get to the post office it was horrible and i will never do that ever again and nor should you use do not interrupt what you're doing to leave for the post office And right now, use my name, Rome, for this very special offer. It's a four-week trial. It includes postage and a digital scale. But don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone. It's at the very top of the homepage. And type in Rome. Again, Stamps.com, codename Rome. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office ever again. I know I won't, and neither should you. Doc Rivers joins us. So we're about a week away from the start of the regular season. I mean, how are you feeling? I know how the guys are feeling, but how are you feeling about training camp? Are you ready to get rolling, or when you have as many changes, Doc, to the roster as you've had, could you always use a little more time?
2: Well, I think in this case, we can always use a little more time when you have nine new players. And uh, more importantly, uh, some of the key guys have been out. You know, uh, Gallo uh, has missed the last week. Austin has missed the last week. Patrick Beverly has missed... Uh, the last four or five days. So those are three of your, you know, seven rotation guys that are out. But, you know, everyone has injuries, and you get over it. Uh, But we'll be ready when the time
0: comes. Doc Rivers joining us, and obviously you've got some key roster changes. Chris Paul was such a key part of that team, Doc, over the past six years. When he moves on, what kind of an impact does that have, not only with his play on the floor, but also with the identity of your team?
2: Well, it changes. I mean, uh, Chris is a great player, and – Uh, when you lose a great player and they go somewhere else, then either you have a backup guy that can play like him or you have to change. And there's nobody in the league that plays like Chris. So it would uh, not be smart for us to try to come out and play the same way. We have to play differently. Um, You know, we have to be a more ball movement team. You know, with Chris, we basically put the ball in Chris's hands a lot. uh, And, you know, he's good at it, but he needed the ball to play. And so – uh we didn't have a we wasn't a great ball movement team uh we were a great offense but we're just not one with movement so now we want to still be a great offense but we have to do it with more movement
0: doc Rivers joining us you know doc he was such a strong personality and such a strong presence now that he's gone do you have to encourage other guys to step up as leaders or does that happen naturally without you needing to encourage it
2: yeah, it's going to happen organically. I mean, listen, we still have Blake and DJ. So it was really the three guys that that were the leaders. And, 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 you know, to be frank, I don't know if that worked anyway. Uh, it, it felt like at times each guy was trying to lead or, or trying to, to get out of the way of the other. And I never thought that, uh, that worked, uh, to perfection to begin with. So, you know, maybe this will open it up more for Blake to lead a little bit more or DJ or someone else. Uh, if I've learned anything in this league, the players will tell you eventually who's going to lead them on the floor as far as the, their teammates.
0: All right, so what about Blake? How is his role going to be different on this team, and what are your expectations for him this season?
2: I just want him to be a great player, Jeff. You, know, you know, the whole leadership thing and, you know, this new generation, it's my team thing. I don't really buy into it or, or really give a crap about it. I just want them to be good players. And, and like I said earlier, uh, you know, Blake naturally will lead more uh, because Chris's voice is not uh, here. And so, you know, he's one of the veteran guys. Um, he will naturally lead more.
0: Clippers head coach, Doc Rivers, joining us once again. Now, Doc, there's no way that I have – I can go much further in the interview without asking you about Milos Teodosic. He's a 30-year-old rookie from Serbia. He has not only Clipper fans, but he's got basketball fans in general excited. What's it been like to coach him so far?
2: It's been like I guess uh, coaching P- Pistol Pete. <laughs> I mean, he's
0: right. been a ball.
2: Uh, he's a he's a basketball savant. Like he's this guy. His his basketball knowledge and his passing ability is as good as I've ever seen. Um, and he does it in a different way than most of the guys from the U.S. does it. Um, you know, our guys are more ball pounder passers. If you know what I'm saying. Uh, he does it without using a lot of dribbles. He doesn't – when you watch him, you're going to be shocked how little he keeps the ball in his hands. He makes quick decisions. He gets everybody involved. And I think the way he plays becomes infectious. You know, uh, it really does.
0: Hey, Doc, the thing is, you and I are old enough to know Pistol Pete, and I, I agree with you. I've never seen a guy like this guy. I've never seen a guy who passes the ball quite like this guy. So what's that do for the other guys who are on the floor with him? It
2: makes them do two things. It makes them run. Uh, it makes them want to get open, but what I have found, it makes them want to pass, too. Um, you know, now, I have blown my whistle more this year trying to tell guys, you can't make that pass. Uh, you know, uh, they, they've they given names. He has the Bolo pass. That's that underhand pass, full court he's made three or four times. The You know, the left-hand lob pass. He has all kinds of pass. The problem is some of our guys are trying to do it. They're just not good enough. Uh, so, but it does it's it's amazing how often guys want to pass now when he's on the floor
0: that's a good thing Doc Rivers joining us now Doc you also have the addition of Patrick Beverly who you mentioned in the backcourt I know he's a little bit banged up right now as you point out but there are a few guys in the league who get after it more than he does who play with the same kind of fire that he does what's he bring to the team especially at the defensive end
2: oh well he brings the fire you know uh, every coach in the NBA hates Pat Beverly until, on on, until he's on their team and then they absolutely love him and, and put me in that category. Um, he brings an energy and a professionalism and a toughness to your team immediately. Uh, when you're around him, you realize it's no joke. You know, similar to Kevin Garnett, you know, before I coached Kevin, I, was, I thought outside, like, no way anyone can be this intense. I thought it was half a fake. And then when you coach Kevin, you realize, oh, this is for real. Uh, and that's the same thing with Patrick. Every day, uh, I've never had text in my career, from a, in my coaching career, from a player two hours after practice that he just watched practice again. Uh, I can t- you, know, I laugh about it. I just told someone, I, I played for 13 years. I don't think I ever watched the practice on tape after the practice. Uh, and that's some of the stuff Pat does because he's so serious about the game. Uh, so it's been really nice. Uh, to have him and have his IQ.
0: Yeah, that's wild. The guy's going to break down tape and watch practice right after the practice. Doc, you mentioned KG, so i got to take a shot. What's the best KG story you can tell us that's uh, fittable, for Whoa, fittable for air?
2: there's not a lot of them, but the <laughs> funny, I mean, there's a lot of funny ones. But, you know, the, the, the good thing uh, about KG, even though I don't think a lot of people saw him as this nice guy, is that every year he would bring the rookies in my office uh, with the tailor. And, and make them suits and tell them they have to dress like pros. The funniest thing uh, is when you took him out of practice, he refused to come out of practice, Jim. Like refused. <laughs> and when you did take him out, he would then mock what the guy on the floor was doing from the sideline. You know, I mean, it was just it was ridiculous. If the guy jumped, he would jump. If the guy ran, he would run. If the guy dove on the floor, everyone would awesome. be on the sideline diving on the floor. And and you look and you just sit there and look at him and like this dude's nuts. Uh, but in such a great way.
0: That is such a great story. I mean, I don't know how he got anything done after that. The guys must be laughing. Like Doc, why would you take him out of practice to protect him from himself? I mean, the guy goes as hard as he does. What? Why would you take him out of practice? That's
2: exactly why. And and he was thirty whatever, and he used to mumble under his breath when you took him out. Warriors don't rest. Warriors don't rest. Sign of weakness. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you incredible. would just laugh.
0: <laughs> and I would yell, Warriors need rest. <laughs> Sign of weakness. Son of weakness, Doc. <laughs> you know, when one of the big topics of late, Doc, before I let you go, has been the role of athletes when it comes to expressing their feelings about social issues. Steve Ballmer tweeted, quote, let's stop vilifying athletes who stand up for issues they deem important. Let's encourage citizen participation. So what's your reaction to how athletes have been involved in the issues that they deem important and then the backlash they're facing for it?
2: Yeah, it, it's everyone should stand up. You know, um, you know this What's going on now, it's, it's sad in some ways that people are being vilified for uh, exercising their right. You know, um, you know, you have the right. Like, you know, I, this whole flag thing and the soldiers is such a, a bunch of crap. You know, uh, people aren't protesting the flag. They're not even protesting. Uh, they're clearly not protesting soldiers they're protesting what they feel is wrong with our country and they want to draw attention to it. I think athletes should protest and do things. I really do. I encourage it uh, because they, they have a platform where they can draw attention to it. And so you should be able to do it. You should be allowed to do it. Uh, and you are allowed to do it in this country. Uh, it's, that's our freedom of expression. And so we should do it. Uh, my bigger question is everyone should do it. And this is not, a black issue. This is an American issue, and so uh, where if I'm disappointing in in, in any place is not that the black athletes are doing it. I'm disappointed that more athletes aren't, uh, because this is not a black issue. Uh, 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 this is more about everyone, and we all need to get involved, and I really believe
0: that. Doc, and one last thought. Clearly your owner is not one of the owners who's saying that, hey, if you do this, I've got a problem with it, or if you do this, you don't have a spot on this team, but others are. Jerry Jones has said a point blank. If you don't stand for the anthem, there's no place for you on our team. What's your reaction to that, an owner who would say that?
2: Well, that's sad, but having said that, if you believe in something, you have to do it. You know, people – You know, we don't really – our athletes today, uh, it's easier. They don't – they're not literally, other than Kellen Kaepernick, losing their job, you know, uh, losing money over doing something. You know, we forget what Muhammad Ali did and Arthur Ashe did. And and, and, I think what they really need to study is not only what they did, is what they lost by doing it, but yet they were willing to do it. If you think there's something that you need to stand up for – Uh, Stand up for it. Uh, and, And then the consequences are what they are. You know, sometimes there are consequences for a protest. You have to be willing to take those consequences if you really want to stand up for something.
0: Cliff Kingsbury is my guest. So you went into the Kansas game after a tough loss to Oklahoma State. You rack up 65 points, more than 300 rushing yards. So what did your team show you by the way they responded to the loss and then the way they imposed their will on Kansas?
1: Yeah, just that we handled adversity a lot better than we did the previous year. Uh, Tough tough loss at home against a very good Oklahoma State game. Lots of energy, lots of hype, night game. And then to come back at 11 a.m. on the road and and start the way we did uh, showed me that that we have some mental toughness and, and the right mentality when you go on the road.
0: Well, then, and doing it the way you did it. Over 300 rushing yards were the most in a single game since 2012. The outside perception of Texas Tech, of course, is a place where you'll kill opponents by slinging it through the air. And in some ways, does this kind of represent a shift in focus a little bit?
1: I hope so. You know, we want to be able to be much more balanced. We had one of the best college football players you can possibly have in Patrick Mahomes the last two years and threw it all over the yard. And didn't get the results we wanted uh, when it came to wins and losses. And so we've really focused on being more balanced, being more physical in the run game, and, and hopefully that continues.
0: All right, so what about that? Now you're going to go back with Nick Shimanik. How do you go about reloading with him and changing up with him, and what does he bring to the table?
1: Yeah, He's a very cerebral player. He, he was at the University of Iowa before he transferred to Texas Tech, so he, he's been in a pro-style system with protections in the run game and does a really good job of us getting us in the right play, uh, getting through his regressions, uh, attacking you know leverage things of that nature on, on the field and uh, very heads up player very talented throw the football and has done a nice job so far leading our offense
0: Texas Tech head football coach Cliff Kingsbury joining us once again now over the course of your career you've developed some excellent quarterbacks when you're evaluating a quarterback and deciding whether or not he'd be a good fit what are the types of things you're looking for I mean is it mostly physical or is it more about the mental side maybe
1: uh, you, you try to figure out as much as you can about the the mental side. It's a little bit tough from a distance, but you you try to develop a relationship over a couple years recruiting the player. Um, So you want want them to have a great work ethic. You want them to be cerebral. You want them to want to be great, have great leadership qualities. Uh, And on the physical side, you know, I think a big thing I look for to start off is can they get you out of a bad play? It's hard to call perfect plays in this day and age in, in football. And so can they extend the play with their feet? Can they make things happen? things happen on the run and how accurate are they as a passer
0: yeah I'm glad you brought that up because when I think about something like that you want to make sure you have a guy that can get you out of a bad play when it breaks down but at the same time you want to make sure that you're teaching them that if it's breaking down or it's a bad play man throw it away don't make it worse than it already is so how do you find that balance between extending a play and making something good happen and knowing when to just throw it away
1: that's a great question, and uh, there is a fine line. Uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to coach Johnny Football at Texas A&M his freshman year, and you want to talk about trying to walk that line. I mean, uh, one part of you just wants to snap the ball and say, hey, go make it happen. And the other part, you're trying to teach him his progressions, his footwork, his reads. And, and so that taught me, hey, if you have a horse like that, you kind of just let them go and let them do their thing. Um, but there there is a balance of when the party's over and let's play the next snap.
0: And speaking of the party being over, I mean Johnny would have you believe that the party's over and he wants to play football again. Have you spoken to him at all recently? And what do you think the chances are of him getting another shot somewhere with somebody?
1: Yeah, just, just through text uh, the other day, and it sounds like you know he, he's getting his life in order f- first. I mean that's his main focus, and then uh, hopefully you know he'll get a shot somewhere, even if it's CFL to start and show that he can handle the load. I think. It would be entertaining as, as anything to watch him running around up there and doing what he does. Um, but I know he's really focused just on himself right now and trying to get you know, life back to normal.
0: Cliff Kingsbury joining us. Now you went into Saturday leading the Big 12 in turnover margin with plus seven, and then you added four more. Forcing turnovers was not necessarily a strength last season, so how would you go about improving that the way you have?
1: Yeah, we were worse in the league last year, and we knew that had a lot to do with our, our win-loss record. And, and so we just emphasized it throughout spring, throughout summer workouts, throughout fall camp. And you can see our team is really bought in. They're, they're going at the football every opportunity they get. And I think just making it a priority throughout the last nine months has really paid off.
0: Now, during exit, exit interviews with your players last season, one of the things that came up from defensive players was that maybe they didn't feel as connected to you as they'd like. As a head coach, I guess you could respond to that in any number of ways. What was your reaction when you heard that?
1: Yeah, a little bit surprised. You know, I, I think I've seen it done a bunch of different ways, was on a bunch of different teams with different coaches, um, but it opened my eyes to hey, I, I got to spend more time with that side of the football, whether it be the coaches, the players, um, just be around them more, be there, let them know we're all in this together, show support, and I've really you know made a conscious effort to do that.
0: So you're five years in there now, Cliff. So how different are you now as a head coach than when you first took over there?
1: Uh, it's pretty dramatic. I think when you first get the job, you're, you're just trying to keep your head above water. All the processes you install is just what you've learned from the previous staff or the previous coaches you worked for. And by year three, four, five, you're putting your own spin on things and delegating more and, and really coming into your own. So I feel a lot more comfortable in year five, obviously, and um, hopefully we can keep it rolling.
0: You got a big tests coming up this weekend. You're facing West Virginia, which means going up against their three-three-five defense. What concerns you the most about Tony Gibson's defense? Then how do you go about preparing for it?
1: Yeah, Tony's done a tremendous job against spread offenses. That's really what that three-three-five is known for taking away, is kind of your quick intermediate, uh, quick game type passes. And and so we we've got to establish the run game early. That's something we didn't do when we played them last year. And he he does a good job of mixing in pressures, mixing in um, different zero coverages. And so we've got to be able to run the football against that and try to get him out of some of that stuff.
0: You know, Cliff. Yesterday, you opened up your press conference by talking about the murder of Texas Tech police officer Floyd East Jr. As head coach, you have a relationship with the police department. So what's it like for you when something like that happens?
1: Just tragic, really. I don't know any other way to put it. Um, Those guys, you know, you get here at all hours, and they're always taking care of us and patrolling our offices, our facility. And and so to see um, something that sad happen to one of them and, you know, their families and the type of people they are, it's just tragic. And obviously our heart um, goes out to them. Our prayers and thoughts are with them at this time.
0: Sure. Back in the spring, you were in Frisco, Texas, and you had a couple of new players at practice, Andrew and Braden, and they're fearless dream kids. They spent the day with the team in connection with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. They not only got to spend time with the players, but they got on the field. They each scored a touchdown. Uh, I have a sense as to what a day like that might mean for Andrew and Braden, but what's it mean to you and your players to have an experience like that?
1: It's awesome. I mean, it really puts things in perspective. It, it, It makes you appreciate every day that we have... A lot more, and 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 just uh, uh, for our players that hey, these young people are watching you. They're looking up to you. They'd do anything to be in your shoes. So make sure you're you're handling yourself in the right way and and representing yourself the way you want to be seen.
0: Listen, one more thing. I came across before I let you go. I'm a big phone guy, and especially a BlackBerry guy from back in the day, dude. Is it true? Are you still rocking a BlackBerry?
1: (laughs) I am. It's it's on its last leg. I'm having some power issues. My my internet is a little suspect, but I'm still going hard with the keypad. I cannot give it up.
0: I think that's awesome. What kind of phone is it? Which BlackBerry?
1: It is uh like the Q10. The
0: Q10? So, no kidding. Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean,
1: we're still going.
0: It's about the physical keyboard. I mean, if that's it, you got to get that key one, right?
1: Yeah, that's what I've that's what I've heard. But I, I don't know. I'm just addicted to the keyboard. I can I can watch film and text without looking, just based on feel. And so I'm I'm hanging with it as long as it'll it'll hold out.
0: Indians fans. Game 5, tonight from Sea town And for the second straight year, the Tribe, a team that has looked like an absolute steamroller, had a bully on the ropes. And for the second straight year, that bully picked himself up off the mat, punched back, squared things up. Now we all know how last year ended, with the Cubs turning around a 3-1 deficit to kill the curse. Now after jumping out to a 2-0 lead, the Tribe is back home for a Game 5 that nobody there expected and nobody there wanted, needing a win against a Yankee team that was not expected to be here, that has nothing to lose. It's been a wild series. Like 48 hours ago, New Yorkers were talking about how Joe Girardi was going to get fired. Hell, about an hour ago, somebody from the Bronx called the show and said, I don't care if they do win, I want that guy fired. Now he's got a chance to knock off the hottest team in baseball, who up until games three and four had not lost two straights since mid-August and finished the regular season winning a ridiculous 33 of 37. You see, that's how fast a series can flip. That's how quickly the ghosts of Cleveland can pop up. 69 straight years of futility. The longest World Series drought in baseball. And the ugly reality that had the Tribe losing five straight series-clinching games and 16 of their last 19 since Mike Hargrove got axed after winning 97-99. and But know this. Terry Francona is not Mike Hargrove. Corey Kluber ain't Dave Burba. And when Tito made that decision to start Trevor Bauer in Game 1 instead of Kluber, he set himself up for the exact scenario that he finds himself in tonight.
2: I think we feel real comfortable with how we went about everything, and we wanted Kluber if we got to this game. We got
3: to this game.
0: And they got to that game, and now they've got that guy. Seatown, here's where I come out on this. You're going to get it done. It's going to be all right. You're going to win. You're going to win because Kluber is the best right-hander in baseball. And even if he gave up six runs in game two, he gave up six runs in the entire month of September prior to that. He has pitched in big games. He's gotten it done in big games. I'm going to push everything I have to the center of the table, and I'm going to go all in on Kluber. He's a different cat. The Indians are a different team at home. And no, it shouldn't have come to this, but it has. But I'm here to tell you, Indians fan, it's going to be all right. Kluber, that pen, even if that pen is not what it was, Kluber, that pen, and Tito have got this. They're going to get it done. Now, you may still get your hearts ripped out of your chest sometime in the next few weeks, but it's not going to be tonight. Relax, C Town. You're going to be just fine. You have this. It's going to be fine. You're going to get out of this round and you're going to advance, and Kluber's going to get it done tonight. I feel great about your chances. I really do. C Town's got to make you feel better, right? I don't put myself out there very often. And when I put myself out there like that on a stage that big, I'm almost never wrong. In fact, our research shows that I'm right 93.1% of the time in situations like that. I've been wrong, but only a couple of times in the last 20 years. You've got this, Cleveland. I would not put myself out there that far if I didn't think so. Jarvie and Franklin is my guest. I know you're looking ahead, but I got to ask you, Saturday's game was absolutely unreal in terms of going to seven overtimes. I know you are focused on the next one, but when you look back on that game, what kind of thoughts do you have?
3: Yes, sir. Yeah, that game totally was unreal. And um, just the thoughts—the thoughts that come to mind when I look back to the game—is the fact that um, they kept going on. You know, like they kept and that team kept matching us tick for tick for tack. So I mean, definitely we got to give credit to them. But uh, one thing I know about us is we're mentally tough and we weren't going to give up no matter how long it took.
0: Javier and Franklin joining us. So I got to ask: When you get to overtime, that's one thing. But when this thing starts getting to four, five, six, seven overtimes, I mean, what's going through your head? Are you enjoying it, and you're like in that battle, or you're like, "Come on, man, we got to finish this thing."
3: I mean, it was kind of comical, especially to us, because uh, I mean, like we love. I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm an offense, but we love, like we love the fact that the pressure was on us the entire time. So I mean, like, yeah, we were we were kind of sitting back and enjoying it, but we were kind of like, "Wow, it just keeps going on." But it also, um, like, once we got the four and five, they all kind of start to blend together. So I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm like, man, we're in seven? Like, this is crazy.
0: No, it's true, because your head coach, Tim Lester, said after the game, he wasn't even sure how many overtimes he had been played yeah. or had been played, and that if you asked him, he probably would have said five. I mean, like, when you're in that, maybe you've got some adrenaline left, but how grueling is that physically and mentally to grind through seven overtimes?
3: I mean, yeah, physically. I mean, so pretty much it's just like playing a whole other football game. I know we had about a hundred. Um, we had some guys that clocked over a hundred and twenty plays. So I mean, that's incredible. I mean, I'm glad I didn't, and I'm glad my play count didn't reach that high. But at the same time, um, yeah, it's it, and it does take a toll on your body. But then, like, it just I mean, you just you just gotta rely on your training, like being mentally strong, all the things you did, all the things you did in the summertime to push you through that. Um that experience.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because you put in a lot of work in the offseason. You were running hills, you were doing bleachers to get yourself in the yes. best shape of your life. Some of that work, maybe you didn't really think that you needed at the time, but how does it feel right. when you put in that work and you win a game in the seventh overtime and then all that work does pay off?
3: Exactly. I mean, and that's a great feeling because, you know, and in the midst of all that work sometimes, I'm sure I'm sure if you ask anybody who's an athlete and does stuff like that, and you're never, never going to know and, and if you like need to work, but you know what I'm saying um, I'm glad that a game like last night, I'm glad that it came all, and it came and paid
0: off. You know, one more thing about that—you said it was kind of comedic. In the first overtime, tight end Donnie Ernsberger caught a touchdown pass, <laughs> and his sister went rushing onto the field yeah. to hug him, even though the game wasn't over. She ran right by you. What you? What were you thinking when you saw that?
3: I mean, yeah, that was hilarious. I saw it coming. I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm like, hold on, is the game over? But I, I mean, like me knowing it's not over. I'm like, man, this is hilarious. And she just runs past me. I mean, me, like, I see her coming, so I back up. I'm like, yeah, he's right here. And then she gives him a hug. I'm just laughing. I was like, the whole team's laughing. I'm like, man, you're crazy. And then, like, I see, like, all the guys running onto the field. But, like, it was um, That was awesome.
0: That that was really funny. I wonder what he said to her. No, no, not yet. Not yet. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. <laughs> now you You had two right. carries for four yards at the half. And then three touchdowns and 102 yards in the overtime periods. A lot of guys in your situation might have been thinking at halftime, "It's just not my day." What were you thinking at halftime? And then how'd you go about approaching the rest of the game?
3: I mean, um, yeah. So, and obviously, the first half, um, things weren't coming um, as smoothly as they could have came, or as smoothly as um, as smoothly and as I would hope. But I mean, just just me, just just trying to stay optimistic and always just looking forward to the next carry, looking forward to the next play. I just, you know, I just kept my mind in the game. So um, and I was waiting on my number to get called, and when it did, I knew I just had to answer the bell. I, I just forgot about everything else and just lived in that moment and just got it done.
0: Jarvey and Franklin joining us now. You're one of 12 seniors on that team, and you took it upon yourself in the off season to set an example for the younger guys. Who were some of the guys who set examples for you when you first came to Western Michigan, and what were the types of things that you wanted to communicate to the young guys now?
3: Yeah, I mean, um, so and when you say guys that set examples for me, um names that come to my head, um, and off the bat would be Zach Terrell, Taylor Moden and um Corey Davis. And also, um, and number three, the running back Fabian Johns from last year. Like these and these guys were all guys who led vocally and who led by example, you know, some better than others. But these guys, um, you know, they always they always showed us like how to put in extra work and they always showed us that you can't just be great in one area of your life.
0: Now, you decided to go to Western Michigan when the program was in the middle of a 1-11 and season. A lot of guys in your situation might look at 1-11 and and decide to look someplace else. What made you feel like that would be a good place for you?
3: I mean, yeah, so um, so, so being recruited into that situation was tough. You know, I spoke to a reporter earlier this week just talking about how um, how many hecklers I had um, at my school, you know what I'm saying, inside the community, but I mean, I kind of just used it as fuel. And then, like, knowing the guys in the class, like, knowing some of the guys personally, I knew like um I knew that we all thought the same way, we all had the same goals in mind and we all wanted to go to that um to go to this program and personally make impact and personally turn it around. So I'm glad that things worked out. I'm glad that things worked out a little bit better than we hoped.
0: Hey, listen, but um
3: I pretty much I pretty much did it for the guys that are around me
0: Today. And I was going to say, to put it another way, what you were, what you were saying in effect was, look, they're 1-11, on but one of the reasons they're 1-11 on is I'm not there yet. Uh-huh. They're 1-11 on because the guys exactly. coming in with me are not there yet. I love that attitude. Where did that attitude come from?
3: I mean, um, I mean just – I mean, the attitude, I'm pretty sure – I mean, it just came from just – I mean, I guess my upbringing, you know, just um, always competing, uh-huh. always playing three sports all year round. Like, I was the type of guy who would just go outside and just – um leave at like 10 o'clock and don't come home to 8 o'clock playing basketball, football, and baseball on the same day. So uh, I kind of – I told my mom the day after the overtime, I'm like, yeah, mom, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I've been used to this because I've been playing like sports all day. You know what I'm saying?
0: Let's go to the Bronx. Ra in the Bronx. Raw, what's up? Good to have you.
3: Yo, Jim, thanks for taking my call, OG. I'm calling. We live in the Bronx. It's one of the biggest games in a while since we had this dude, Girardi, in. And I just want to say – If we do win, I still want him gone. I don't care if he's – he doesn't have to leave New York, but he has to leave out of the Bronx. Just write an article about how he does not know how he's going to utilize his pitching rotation on an elimination game, Jim. I mean, he doesn't know how he's going to – just like he doesn't know what to say in press conferences. I still want him gone even if we win. I'm still excited. I didn't think we were going to make it this far. So wrapping my baby bombers all day, always. Peace,
0: Jim. Jim, what's your favorite color? Mine is gold. Like the ticket. Rick in Buffalo sent that. (laughs) A golden ticket winner jumping into the ATP so he can talk some junk about winning a golden ticket. Hey, Ricky, you might want to slow down. You know I can rip that ticket away just as easily as I gave it to you. You should know that. And remember, you're not safe on the ATP. It doesn't need to be a bad phone call for you to lose that golden ticket. It can be a bad email, it can be a bad tweet, it could even be a bad ATP submission. You don't want to be the first clone in jungle history to lose a golden ticket twice, Richard. Be careful, Richard. You know what, Rick? You lost it again. You just did. You're coming on the ATP to talk junk about your golden ticket, and now it's gone again. It's back in the middle of the Bad news, Richard. You are the first one in jungle history to have a golden ticket ripped twice. Rick, you had that thing for two days. Hey, Rick, how would that feel to walk around with that thing for two days? How did it feel to walk around knowing that you were going to be in the smack-off in 2018? For 48 hours. Now you're not. Now I'm done. Now it's gone. Hey, Rick, what's your favorite color now, champ? What's your favorite color now? If your favorite color 30 seconds ago was gold, what is your favorite color now? This guy won a golden ticket after already having one ripped and came in to the ATP to talk junk and literally said, hey, Jim, what's your favorite color? Like he turned a smack into an ATP question. What's your favorite color, Jim? Mine is gold, like the ticket. I mean, you wanted to get it ripped, right? That was your plan. There's no way you come in with something like that and not lose that golden ticket. Can I hear that one more time, Albie? That's the sound of a golden ticket getting. That makes two for you, Rick. It's two for me. Good news is, Rick, it's you've got several me. months to try and get it back. But you and I both know, even if you do get it back, you're gonna lose it again. Thank you very much for listening, y'all. Make sure you check out Episode 7 of the Jim Rome Podcast with TMZ founder Harvey Levin. Trust me, you will love that episode. And a bonus episode drops tomorrow with Hall of Famer Kurt Warner and former Pittsburgh Steelers great Ike Taylor. Check back then. I'm out. How does one frame a masterpiece? If it's a painting, some wood and gold leaf will do. But what about a masterpiece of the edible variety?
2: Like Boar's Head oven-gold turkey. Crafted from a family recipe, seasoned with savory spices, and then slow-roasted until it's fork-tender and brimming with flavor. So, what could frame such a masterpiece? Perhaps a little
0: bread would do. Boar's Head. Compromise Elsewhere.